The Bible reading this morning is Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 4, verse 1. And this letter was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison preaching about Jesus. For whatever were gains, for whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already accomplished all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. The second Bible reading is Psalm chapter 63, verses 1 to 4. A Psalm of David, when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary 
and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Good morning. Make sure you uh, keep your... Uh, leaflets open there to those two passages as we'll be looking at both of them. Now I want you to imagine you are running for your life. You're in the uh, Palestinian desert, so it's dry, it's hot, it's sandy, there's not much water, there's not much food, actually there's not much of anything except for sand and rocks and just extreme heat. It's not a particularly pleasant place to be, but here you are, hiding out in a cave, running for your life, because the king that you faithfully served and love is so jealous of you, he sent his army after you to kill you. Now, you're hiding in the cave, and you suddenly feel inspired, so you pull out your harp, because, I mean, who doesn't travel with a harp, and you start strumming. And you write a song to express your deepest longings. What song do you write? What's the verse? What's the chorus? What do you sing about? Well, here's what I sing about. You, God, are my God. Please don't let me die of thirst. I thirst for a drink. My whole body longs for it in this dry and parched land. There's no water anywhere. Could you please maybe do that trick again with the rock? That would be fantastic. Sand, sand, nothing but sand. I remember the days when I wasn't being hunted. I remember the days when I had more than breadcrumbs to eat. I would be satisfied if only I had some food. I don't know what's going to kill me first, Saul or dehydration. Food, water, please God give me water. Now, my song is quite different to David's. It's, it, it really blew my mind as I was reading this psalm this past week, thinking about the situation he's in and then seeing the words that he writes in that situation. Listen to David's song. Instead of longing for water, David is longing for God. A psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as if I had the richest of foods. And with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. It's incredible really, isn't it? More than his life, his safety, more than food, more than water, David wants God. David longs for God above all those things. And that's devotion, isn't it? 
Well, now I want you to imagine that you're in first century Rome. You're living 24-7 under Caesar's imperial guard in prison. Chains permanently clinking, shackles permanently chafing, imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And suddenly, sitting there in your prison cell, you feel inspired. You pull out a quill and some parchment and you start writing. And you start writing a letter describing how you're going. What is the letter that you write at this time? What letter do you write from prison? Well, this is my letter. Oh, everything I had before is gone. I long for those days, those days when I had more than just a quill, a bottle of ink and some chains. Man, I should never have appealed to Caesar. What was I thinking? Please, brothers, sisters, pray for me that God will get me out of prison soon. I miss my home. I miss my country. I miss you. I just wish I could go back to when things were easier. I feel like giving up. I don't know if I can continue like this for much longer. Now, of course, that wasn't the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote when he was in prison under Roman guard. No, Paul's letter is a world away from the letter I think I would probably write in his situation. So instead of moaning about what he's lost, Paul celebrates what he's gained. Have a look there. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind I strain towards what is ahead and press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, more than what Paul had lost along the way, more than his reputation, his income, his comfort, his freedom, his life, more than all those things put together, Paul treasures Jesus. That's devotion. See, true discipleship is characterised by devotion to Jesus. True love is devotion. Now, uh, back in the 60s, there was a famous song named uh, after the backing vocals rather than the chorus. Anyone want to have a guess? It's the Shoop Shoop song. Who knows the Shoop Shoop song? No? Well, you will if I started singing it. If you want to know if he loves you so, it's in his. That's where it is. 
That's right. Now, do you know the singer who originally made this famous was uh, Betty Everett, and originally when she heard this song, she turned her nose up at it. She didn't want to sing it because she thought it was so childish. And really, it is a childish song, isn't it? Uh, because a kiss won't tell you squat about whether someone really loves you. They could just be a really good kisser. See, after all, a kiss is just lip service. No, a kiss doesn't tell you squat about love. If you really want to know, ladies, if he loves you so, you need to see more than infatuation. You need to see genuine devotion. Is he committed to you? Does he serve you continuously? Does he continue, consistently put your needs above his own? Does he stand up for you? Does he forsake all others? Does he sacrifice himself for you? Does he build you up? Does he keep loving you in those times that you're unlovely? Does he stick with you through thick and thin? Does he do whatever he can to be with you and spend time with you? And is he happy with you just as you are? And most importantly, is he committed to helping you grow as a child of God? In short, is he devoted to you? See, true love is shown by true devotion not just lip service. And at the end of the day, a Christian isn't just someone who believes in the resurrection. A Christian disciple is someone who loves the one who was raised. See, a Christian disciple isn't just, isn't a dispassionate subscriber. We don't just go, oh yeah, that's true and we'll jump on that mailing list. No. A Christian disciple earnestly longs for the God who so passionately loved us. A Christian disciple loves, serves, seeks, suffers for, sticks with and sings to our Lord and Saviour who we love and are devoted to. Now, some of Jesus' strongest and I think most confronting words uh, were about the devotion that's required of a true disciple of Christ. Have a listen to this, Matthew 10. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Well, how about these in Luke 9? Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Pretty strong words, aren't they? What's the level of devotion that Jesus is asking for here? Let's put it in a percent. 30, 50, 55, 70, 100 percent, isn't it? Now, there are many things we could say about devotion to Jesus. And if you think about this discipleship series that we're doing, really every week we're thinking about one aspect or element of what it looks like to be devoted to Jesus, to love him and to be completely sold out for him. 
Today, we're just going to focus on a few of the aspects we found in our readings. The first one is that being devoted to Jesus means counting everything else as loss. Have a look there at Philippians 3 from verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Now, uh, before Keely and I got married, I had uh, a Hilux. It was a uh, four-wheel drive, a solid axle Hilux. It was a beauty. I love the thing. Um, we did all sorts of crazy stuff in that car. Uh, tough as nails. Uh, until my Bucks party. So my Bucks party, we went away camping on uh, uh, the New South Wales coast. And as you do, mucking about, mates in the car, being silly. Uh, I, I drove full speed into a lake, uh, sucked it full of water, bent the conrod, wrecked the thing. And uh, anyway, our honeymoon relied on this car. We were going to Fraser Island and four-wheel driving all over the place. So I had to fix my car. And so I at this point, I thought, well, I could just rebuild the motor, but that would be a shame, really. I mean, you know, it's off the road. I'm going to spend money on it. Let's make it better. Uh, so I bought a V8, and, you know, I fitted that. And I thought, well, while I'm at it, I'm going to have to get the engineer to look at it. I may as well get a few other things done. And so I cut out all the front suspension and started fabricating new stuff. And then the whole front end came off. And... Well, the short and long of this was that uh, during the time it took me to do this, we already got married in the middle. Our honeymoon to Fraser Island uh, was totally out the window. And when I was actually married, I realised I had a conflict of devotions here. There was my devotion to my Hilux and then my devotion to my lovely new wife. Well, unlike Lee Kernigan, I chose my girl over my ute and my devotion to Keeley far outweighed the devotion to my ute. Uh, eventually, my half-finished Hilux got scrapped out. And while it was hard to let it go, hard to give up on something that I poured so much time and energy and money into, I never regretted that decision to get rid of it. I mean, I regretted driving into the lake beforehand, but I never regretted getting rid of it after that point. See, I gladly counted that loss for the surpassing worth of still being married to Keeley years later. And see, the thing is, right, value is always relative, isn't it? Value of anything is always relative. No matter how much you value something, if something far better comes along, you'll ditch it in an instant, won't you? And yet, if you were to gain the whole world and stack it all up together in the scales, all the Hiluxes, all the real estate, all the wealth, all the blessings, if you were to put everything good in the whole world on one side of the scales, 
and then you were to put Jesus on the other side, those scales would be like a catapult. The weight and the value of Jesus so far surpasses everything good in the whole entire universe that actually when compared to Jesus, that's gone out the window. See, in comparison to Jesus, Paul says, it's a no-brainer. Everything I had, everything in the world, I count as lost, actually as garbage. It's nothing. It's, it's not that it's bad. It's just that who needs it anymore? It's finished. It's done. It's fading away. Well, what had Paul given up? He'd given up his social status, his reputation, his home, his belongings, his income, his comfort, his freedom, and eventually Paul gave up his life. But Paul says, bah, no contest. You've placed knowing Jesus on the scales and all that stuff is so insignificant, it just flies off into nowhere. See, everything we can have, Jesus said, if we gain the whole world and yet we don't have him, well, we lose it all. It does us no good at all. But, you know, it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard for us to actually grasp that. It's really hard for us to believe that. I find it really hard. I mean, Keely and I, we live a pretty comfortable life and... We have uh, definitely counted things as loss in our devotion to Jesus. And we know it's worth it, but, you know, we still find it really hard. Just a few weeks ago, we took a week off during the school holidays. And, you know, when you're sort of on a week off and you do what everyone does on a week off and you go and you browse the real estate. And um, it's the first time I'd had a look since we moved here. I'd been sort of restraining myself. I had to stop because as soon as I started looking, I started wanting and I started coveting and I started being dissatisfied. See, it's really hard for us to really believe that Jesus is of so much more surpassing value that we could give everything else up. I think at a level we know it's true, but we don't know it enough. So you could take every single thing in your wish list and put it on those scales. But compared to knowing Jesus, it's nothing. And so my question is, I, I would guess that you probably find it hard like I do. What things do you find hard to count as loss? What would you find hard to count as loss if Jesus asked you to give it up? I encourage you, put it in the scales. Look at it in light of eternity and in light of the worth of knowing Jesus, the saviour, creator of the world, the one who will give us life and give us a kingdom that lasts forever with every blessing and no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears and no more sadness. There's no comparison. Being devoted to Jesus means considering everything else as loss. And second, being devoted to Jesus means pressing on 
towards Jesus. Have a look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't made it yet, haven't got there yet, haven't received it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now I wonder, is there anyone here with a PhD? Anyone? Oh, yep. I can see at least one hand up the back. Now, uh, I'm going to guess you didn't get it from a cereal box. No, no. no. It, it wasn't a mail order thing. No, you didn't send in your $69 and no, okay. Uh, okay, it cost you a nervous breakdown. I, I can imagine that. So you don't get a PhD from sitting around and resting on your undergrad results, do you? You don't get a PhD from a cereal box, not a real one anyway. No, you get it through working hard towards the goal. You get it through pressing on forwards, not looking backwards. Because your past assignments that you've done don't count. Your honours don't count. Your, your bachelor's degree doesn't count. And if you spend time dwelling on how much easier it was to be in a bachelor's degree than a PhD, you won't strain towards what is ahead. You need to press on towards the goal. You need to get your thesis in. You need to win that prize, those letters just before your name, that piece of paper to go on the wall of your office and look fancy. See, if you want to get that PhD, you need to be devoted. You need to press on. But it's true in life, isn't it? Some prizes are actually disappointment. And I think it's true that the harder we work for something and the more wonderful and prestigious the prize, I think the more disappointing they are. See, why is it that some of the world's greatest athletes at the very top of their game with heaps left in the tank often walk away. Because once you've done it all, once you've gotten to the top, you've won every medal and title that there is, what more is there to do? You've done what you set out to achieve and suddenly it feels empty. See, the problem is that their goal was too small. Their prize was too fleeting. And it's not great enough. But our goal, if we share Paul's goal, our prize, if we share Paul's prize, will not disappoint. The high won't be followed by a big low. Well, what is our goal? Have a look at verse 10. Our goal I just lost verse 10. Mike, can you read verse 10 for us? Our goal is to know the power 
of the resurrection and his suffering, becoming like him in his death. See, our prize is that we will stand with Jesus, risen, new, perfected bodies for all eternity, in a world that has been made new, without sin, without sadness, without guilt, without suffering, without shame, without tears. And we will stand and look at the face of our Saviour. We will look at the hands that bear the scars of his love for us. And he will wipe away our tears and he will embrace us. And we will live in perfect peace with God for all time. Enjoying every blessing that he loves to generously lavish upon us. See, that's a prize that doesn't get old. That's a high we will not come down from. Our prize is in heaven, so look ahead, keep going, press on. Now, I don't know about you, but I often get this the wrong way round. I often... Instead of remembering what's ahead and forgetting what's behind, I forget what's ahead and I remember what's behind. And so I forget the prize that is waiting for me and I keep thinking about, oh man, think of what I could have had if I didn't give up all this. I look at friends who don't follow Christ and, you know, I I look at the lives and the lifestyles that they live and that I could have had. And instead of looking and remembering what's ahead, I forget what's ahead and I remember what's behind. But that's the garbage. That's the stuff that, yeah, sure, it's great, but it's not great for long. See, like a PhD student with a supervisor or an athlete with a coach, it's essential to have someone who reminds us of the goal. It's essential to have people who help us press on, help us remember what we're so prone to forget, to push us to keep going, keep striving and keep pressing on. And as Christians, we need this, don't we? We need each other. And I want to ask you this morning, how are you going at keeping your eye on the prize? What have you got around you that is helping you, that you've built into your life to help you press on, to help you forget what's behind and remember what's ahead? Are you spending daily training and exercise by reading God's word? Are you doing regular workouts with other disciples at church and in growth group? Have you got those pastors and coaches, your growth group leaders and your pastors that that invest in you and train you and remind you? Do you spend time listening or reading quality books or sermons or podcasts that remind us day after day that this is rubbish, but this is of surpassing wealth. Jesus is of surpassing value. Do you listen to and sing gospel songs that get your blood flowing and get you in the mood to keep pressing on see because if we forget what's ahead if we forget the value of jesus if we forget the prize that he has for us we won't press towards that we'll go back to that 
which is worth nothing. Being devoted to Jesus means considering everything else as loss. Being devoted to Jesus means pressing on towards Jesus. And lastly, being devoted to Jesus means eagerly waiting for Jesus. Have a look at verse 18. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, what are some things that you've eagerly waited for? Your wedding day, birth of a child, lockdown to end, your tax return to come so you can catch up on the bills? Well, during World War II, many Britons uh, evacuated their children to safer places out into the countryside or overseas. Uh, some were even sent to Canada, New Zealand, South Africa and even Australia. And I can only imagine for those poor children who got separated from their families, stuck on a boat, shipped out to another country in the, you know, the end of the world, can only imagine how eagerly they waited for the war to end. How eagerly they waited for someone from their country to come and take them home to their mum and their dad. They would have longed to be in their father's and mother's arms, to be kissed by their lips, to see their smiles and their tears and hear their voices. See, even if they were well looked after by the people who cared for them, even if the country they went to was amazing, they would have eagerly longed for their country to go back, to go home. And this world is great. There's lots that's great about this world. I mean, look at the sunshine out there. We live in the hills. This is a lovely place. There are lots and lots of good things about this world that God created. I mean, at the beginning, he created it very good. But now that we've tasted heaven, now that we've met Jesus and we know him, now that we've come to see this world for what it is, as garbage because God's going to chuck it in the bin and make a better one. Now we long for Jesus to come and take us home. We long to be rid of these frail bodies. We long to be rid of our sinful nature that keeps warring within us. We long for Jesus. But do you know how the Bible ends? The very end of the book of Revelation. Some of the last words is a statement from Jesus, a promise. It's his terminator moment. Surely, says Jesus, surely I am coming soon. And then John, the Apostle John replies, Amen, yes. Come, Lord Jesus. 
And I wonder, how do you react to Jesus' promise? Do you immediately respond like John did? Yes, amen, come Lord Jesus. Or is your response slightly less enthusiastic? Do you feel yourself saying to God, as I have many times, well, just don't come yet, God. There's a few things on my bucket list here. I'll tick them off and then when I'm starting to get old and my body's falling apart, then you can come. Well, our minds are set on earthly things. Let's take it back to those scales. Let's weigh it up against Jesus. That's right. It's just rubbish. It's still garbage. Our home, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await our Saviour to come from there. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Three things this morning. Being devoted to Jesus means considering everything else as loss. Being devoted to Jesus means pressing on towards Jesus and being devoted to Jesus means eagerly waiting for our Lord and Saviour to come and take us home. So, you're sitting at home in your lounge room today, suddenly you feel inspired. You break out your ukulele and you start writing a song. Now what do you write? What longings does your heart express? What does your song reveal about your devotion? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. We thank you for your promise that you will return, that you will raise us, that you will give us new bodies, a new world, a new life, a new hope, a prize that so outweighs everything in this whole world that actually in comparison this whole world is just like garbage. Lord, we pray you help us to keep our eyes on the prize, to keep remembering what is forward and forgetting what's behind, to press on as we eagerly await the return of Jesus. Amen.